On January 3rd, the new and returning city councillors were sworn in by Mayor Michelle Wu in an outdoor ceremony at Boston City Hall. Originally scheduled for indoors, it was moved outside due to the Omicron virus. The two new councillors at large are Ruth Z. Louis-Jean and Aaron Murphy, and they will join returning at-large councillors Michael Flaherty and Julia Mejia. Districts 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, and 9 will be represented by sitting councillors Lydia Edwards, Ed Flynn, Frank Baker, Ricardo Arroyo, Kenzie Bach, and Liz Breeden, respectively. The new members of the council are Brian Worrell, District 4, Kendra Hicks of District 6, and Tanya Fernandez-Anderson, District 7. Mayor Wu talked about the progress the city has been making and will continue to make in this time of great consequence for all. Today, actually this year, marks 200 years since the, the town of Boston officially became the city of Boston and created its very first city council. 200 years ago, those first 55 city councilors looked different than the body that we have just inaugurated today. 100 years after that city council was created, there still were no women, no people of color serving in the city of Boston. So as we mark this new year, it's truly not just about the passage of time, but the progress that the city has seen and that we will continue to rush into in this time of great consequence. We are all here at an inauguration that looks very different than the one we had expected even a couple weeks ago. Sitting here outside in the cold, let this be a reminder of what so many in our city have to live with every single day. Our residents who have been standing outside in the cold for hours waiting for a test to make sure they can keep their, their families safe. We must do better. Our residents who are living unhoused in tents at Mass and Cass and across the city, we are taking action and we must do better. And for so many residents who have been outside in the cold because of systems that have not seen and valued every single one of our community members, we are going to do better. And I look forward to the collaboration with this city council to make that happen. In this new year, let us find warmth in each other. Even as we face stiff headwinds, we will make progress and make sure that we are always holding the light of our Boston residents in front of us and build that community that we need and we deserve in 2022. Congratulations, everyone. Returning from a morning tour of Long Island on January 4th, Mayor Wu discussed the January 12th deadline when people living in tents at the homeless encampment known as Mass and Cass, must be out of the area. Boston City officials have been trying to secure area residents new housing since October, citing that the temporary living site near the intersection of Massachusetts Avenue and Melnia Cass Boulevard is a health risk and dangerous for residents and neighbors of the site. The people living in tents or shelters are given at least two days' notice before all their belongings must be removed from the area. They are given offers of shelter, drug treatment, and property storage. The area will be monitored after the deadline to make sure that it is not built up again. If the Long Island facilities were reopened and Quincy officials fought the reopening of the bridge, Mayor Wu said she would consider all modes of transportation to and from the Long Island facilities, including ferries. This was an ongoing conversation even before the bridge came down. So we saw, for example, that 
there were buildings that were already under renovation to help stabilize and improve the facilities as the bridge was coming down and there were rooms where the walls were still taped up and and they were freshly painted uh, so the city has has had plans ongoing to make sure that this island with some very very old buildings on there right some some of the major spaces that we were in date back to the early 1900s when they were used as a hotel space uh, for example and so it's been an ongoing responsibility for the city to try to maintain and upkeep all of our buildings everywhere um, and and the ones on the island we're already in that category before the bridge has come down. Since then, there's been work from our facilities, um, public facilities department and others to try to patch up and manage the water damage or just the, the wear and tear that comes when buildings are not in regular use. Uh, but we did see lots and lots of um, It'll take a lot of work to get many of these buildings up and running again. As we look at the future, we know it's complicated and we know we need places for people to go for recovery to, in order to, you know, get back into in, into the workforce to recuperate. We know we need those spaces. So the, the spaces that we saw out in Long Island, I think, offer an option. And I think all options are on the table. So as we look at those, we, we're trying to plan. We're, we're planning very carefully about what the medium term could be, which of those buildings could possibly be renovated sooner versus later, looking at the outdoor space? Could we utilize that outdoor space? We're really looking intensely at, at what we could do for the entire city of Boston in terms of addressing the issues of substance use, mental health, and, and homelessness. Oftentimes in Boston, we, we want to build more permanent supportive housing, more transitional housing, and we don't have the space and we don't have the locations because you know Boston isn't that, doesn't have that large of a landmass. But there was a lot of buildings out there. They have been used recently. They do need work. But I think in the days and weeks to come, we'll We'll be sitting down as a group with our nonprofit partners, figuring out what is the need, what those buildings could be used for, looking at budgets, um, et cetera. So I think there is some short-term planning that needs to happen now, but certainly uh, the mayor is right. There is a lot of potential at, uh, on, on the island. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. On January 6th, to honor the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. on the upcoming anniversary of his birth date, members and friends of the Vigil in Support of Black Lives Matter read his words and related personal stories about his life during their meeting in Jamaica Plain. Dr. King's life focused on the issue of civil rights and the use of nonviolence to promote change and calling for people to get involved in public service. He participated and led marches for black Americans' right to vote and helped organize the 1963 March on Washington, where he delivered his I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Dr. King won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964 for combating racial inequality through nonviolence. He was assassinated on April 4, 1968, and there was rioting on the streets. The group honoring Dr. King's contribution to humanity concluded their meeting with a reading of some of the names of the victims of racist violence, followed by a 20-minute standout on Center Street. I don't know that we will ever fully appreciate the full legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. His legacy, his work, his inspiration lives on in people who were, who were born long after he himself was assassinated. But his, he inspires and moves, comforts, and challenges everyone who works in the area of civil rights. 
He stood for nonviolence. He stood for the love and the humanity of all people. He stood for equal rights and equal justice for all. And he called all of us to be better and for America to be better by itself. Dr. King was a hero. He was uh, somebody who was really strong. And the important thing is that his message doesn't get homogenized and uh, n neutralized. Uh, he was outspoken against the Vietnam War. Uh, of course, he uh, protested segregation in the South, but he came to Chicago where he lived, and there was even more vicious racism that he encountered. People threw bricks at his head, and uh, he was courageous. He stood up and uh, was not afraid. He demonstrated the Capitol, but his message was nonviolence, okay? He wasn't trying to overturn a democratic election. He was trying to get a message across of how the laws in the country were unjust. We still remember Martin Luther King Jr. with admiration and with love and with a kind of nostalgia because his dream was stated so clearly and even though um, it was um, not achieved, I don't think any of us foresaw how uh, angry and virulent the forces of racism would become. So it feels to me as if now more than ever, uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. had to say needs to be heard, needs to resonate, um, so that we can survive um, the conflict between voices of justice, voices arguing for voting and for allowing people to fulfill their dreams, um, versus the voices of hatred and anger. On January 6th, Mayor Michelle Wu announced the creation of a five-member committee to guide the public participation and search process for the next Boston Police Commissioner. The new commissioner will oversee the overall mission of the force and aim to cut crime and deliver an effective police force within the area. The committee will be chaired by retired Justice Geraldine Hines of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. The search is a key phase in establishing reforms and stability in the nation's oldest municipal law enforcement agency. The committee will hold public and stakeholder meetings to set parameters for the search, then identify and interview prospective candidates and make their recommendations to the mayor. Today, we are officially announcing the members of this committee who will work on behalf of Boston residents to identify the next police commissioner. This committee will assist me in appointing the city's next commissioner, which is among the most consequential roles that any city leader plays. Delivering public safety through a lens of public health and community trust requires hard and ongoing work at the Boston Police Department, and that begins with leadership at the very top. It also means building a process that is transparent, communicative, and responsive to our community. This first step is listening to community members and sourcing that feedback from across Boston to define the parameters that we'll be basing the search on. You know, for me, of course, this person will need to be a key partner that is part of our overall team and fits in with our larger cabinet. And so I look forward to the point at which we'll be doing one-on-one -on -one interviews and having those conversations. But this search very much will be guided by the feedback and insights from Boston residents on what we need. I hope and trust that my years of experience engaging with the community and with our courts on this issue will yield insight and wisdom as our committee takes on the task of identifying for your consideration candidates who are committed to leading the city's journey to systemic reform in policing.
a reform that centers fairness, justice, accountability, and transparency. This is a challenging time for police and community, and our cities are doing an incredible job in, in working through very difficult problems. Transparency, um, a, a, a strong connection with the community, uh, understanding what the community is expecting from police, and reform of our practices is something that's extremely necessary uh, in this day and age. And so I look forward to being able to identify individuals from across the country who may be able to bring those characteristics to this position and to make Boston continue to be one of the best police departments in, in the country. I'm committed to elevating the voices of young people in this community-led process to reimagine our public safety systems from the ground up. The diversity of experiences on this search committee is an opportunity for all of us to build a better future for youth and families dealing with criminal justice issues in this community. I look forward to thinking about who we bring on board as the next commissioner. At the core of the work that I do with young people at Teen Empowerment, we talk about values and beliefs. And I think that one of the core uh, tenets of what we need to look for in our next commissioner is someone who has the values and beliefs of community reform and reimagining the system that we currently see as being somewhat broken. Thank you.